Well, I just want to start out by thanking Pastor Eric and Pastor Matt and the elders, Brother Charlie and Brother Steve, for the opportunity to share God's Word with you. I don't take that lightly, by the way, so I thank you for that opportunity. I appreciate it. So this is December 18th. I didn't know this was the last Wednesday night that y'all was going to have a service. Uh, Christmas is one week away, is that right? Yes. Well, I hope you're not disappointed, but I didn't come tonight to uh, give you a little soft, palatable Christ uh, Christmas message. I didn't. Didn't work out that way. Uh, this is a tough message, one that I've had a very tough time trying to put together, and it seems like every time I tried to study and put stuff together, every crazy thing that you can imagine happened to me. Uh, even for the last week, it's been really crazy. My wife can tell you I haven't been getting home any sooner than 9 o'clock every night this last week. We've been in a shutdown, so it's been really, really strange. But that's okay. It's still God's Word. The message that you're going to hear tonight is not a message that you'll hear in just any church. I can promise you that. A lot of our churches in America today, they don't like to have messages in their churches that talk about the blood or the cup. They don't like to have songs in their services that mention blood. It just seems to be uh, a little bit politically incorrect these days. But you know, I've learned something. I've learned that if you drain all the blood out of the messages, and you drain all the blood out of the songs, if you drain all of the blood out of the body, all you're left with is a corpse. A dead, stinking, rotten corpse. If we didn't have the shed blood of Jesus, we might as well turn the lights out and go home. We don't even have a reason to be here if Jesus didn't shed his blood. So I can assure you I'm going to talk about the blood. It changed my life. But tonight's message is simply titled The Cup. And we're going to start in Matthew. Matthew chapter 26. Let me find out what verse I'm supposed to go to. Matthew chapter 26. We'll start in verse 36. Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground. My father, he prayed, 
If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he returned to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and he prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and he went away once more and he prayed the third time saying the same thing. Now let's turn over to Luke because I want to get a different perspective on this. And how do you know, how many of you know that when you have four different guys writing something, each one of them is going to give you a different perspective of something. So let's turn to Luke's gospel and see what he says about this. Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, verse 39. Now this is Luke's description of what we just read out of Matthew. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, and he knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer, he went back to the disciples and he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. You know, when I first started reading the Bible, basically that's all I did was read it because I didn't quite understand it when I first started reading it. So every time I came to the scripture in Matthew where it talks about Jesus going to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, in my mind, I thought, well, he was just going to this nice little garden because it was a good place to go and pray. And they just happened to call it Gethsemane. But when you learn to study the Bible, you find out there's some meaning behind some of those words. And so when I looked up Gethsemane, I found out that it means olive press. It was a place where they would gather all the olives, they would bring them in, and they would crush them. They would squeeze them to render all the oil out of the olives. So I believe there's some symbolic thing here that Jesus went to Gethsemane to pray because he knew that something was about to be pressed out of him. And it troubled him. It was something that he had to do, but he didn't want to do it. You know, there's going to come times in our lives when we have to do something 
that we absolutely do not want to do. But we're going to have to do it. We don't have a choice. Next month, January, January 22nd, marks 20 years that my younger brother was killed in a car wreck. It's something that I'll never forget. And I can remember that week. It wasn't a good week. Matter of fact, it wasn't a good year. That entire year wasn't good. But I can remember the first night that we were scheduled to go to the funeral home and say goodbye and meet people and all that stuff that you do at funeral homes. And I remember standing outside of the place. And I can tell you I did not want to go in there. I absolutely did not want to go in there. But I didn't have a choice. I had to do it. I was looking for a sword option, brother. I was. I wanted to get out of there. I didn't want to do it. And what made it really hard was at that point in my life, I was just a heathen. I didn't know that there was a God that I could rely on to help me through the tough times of my life. I didn't know that. So it was a very difficult time for me in my life. But yet, here was Jesus. He was about to go through the most difficult time that anyone has ever been through. It was the most pivotal point in all of history, what Jesus was about to do. And he didn't want to do it. He prayed how many times? Three times he prayed that the Father would take this cup from him. I don't know if I mentioned this or not, but I've been in church for almost 18 years since my little brother went home to be with the Lord. I've been in a lot of meetings. I've been in a lot of revivals. I've been in a lot of services. I've listened to a lot of messages. But you know what? I can honestly tell you that I've never heard one message on the cup. I never have. And as I begin to look at this scripture in Matthew and Luke, I got to thinking, what, what could have been in the cup? Because he asked his father to take that cup from him. So I began to ask, what, what possibly could Jesus have seen in that cup that caused him to be anxious, that caused him to sweat as if it were drops of blood? Do you know that that's almost impossible for a human to do? Is there any nurses in here? They say that that's almost, that that's impossible for your pores, your sweat pores to allow blood to come out of them. But yet here was Jesus. I think in all of Scripture, this story in Matthew is the only place in all of the Bible that you'll see the humanity of our Lord and Savior. He felt anxiety. He felt sorrowful. The angels had to come and strengthen him. So as I began to ask and pray about, you know, what could possibly be in this cup? I was given five things. 
There may be more than five things. I don't know. But this is what I was shown. Y'all ready to hear them? I believe when Jesus looked in the cup, I believe the first thing that he saw was sin. I believe that was the very first thing that he was confronted with was sin. But it wasn't his. It was not his sin that he was confronted with. He was confronted with my sin. He was confronted with your sin. He was confronted with the sins of the entire world. It wasn't his because he was spotless. Let's look at 1 Peter. First Peter chapter 1. Verse 18 through 20. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you are redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last days for your sake. When Jesus was confronted with sin, he saw the sin from Adam all the way down through eternity to the last person that will ever stand on this earth. He saw all of it. What is sin, by the way? I think we've gotten to a point in America where we forgot what sin is. We've come up with fancy names for sin. We call it a mistake. We like to blame somebody else. We've come up with a word called tolerance that we can hide sin under. But the Bible says sin is to those that know the good that they should do and don't do it, to them that is sin. I think maybe we forgot about some of the other scriptures that it talks about when it comes to sin. Let's look at Ezekiel 18.4. I gave you an Old Testament and I'm going to give you a New Testament on this one. Because a lot of times you'll hear people say, well, that's the Old Testament. That's not for today. Really? Show me where it says that. I think we've forgotten about scriptures like this one right here. For every living soul belongs to me, the Father as well as the Son. Both alike belong to me. Listen to this. The soul who sins is the one who will die. How about Romans 6.23? That ought to be a memory verse right there. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think we forgot in America that there's consequences for sin. You know, I'm tired of seeing people that go into these places and shoot them up, and then they sit in jail for three to four years before they ever get a trial. I think they're beginning to realize that there's really not any consequences for what they do. There seems to be some kind of psychology or somebody that'll talk their way out of it. 
How many of y'all remember? I don't even know how long it's been a long been a while back now, but there was a lady right here in Houston. Might have been back in the 90s. Claimed to be a spirit-filled Christian, by the way. I don't know if you know that or not. She drowned her five little babies in a bathtub. She's not even in jail anymore. Did you know that? That's pretty sad. We've gotten to a place in America where we, we don't think there's any consequences for sin. You know, I think we need to get to the point as Christians, we need to get to this point that we grasp the wretchedness of sin. We have to. We have to grasp that. You see, sin pollutes the soul. Sin opens us up to demonic attacks. Sin dulls our senses. It causes hopelessness and depression. That's all part of sin. Sin corrodes our hearts. Makes us hard and numb. Sin destroys families and homes and relationships. Sin does that. But listen, most of all, God is a holy God. And sin separates us from Him and from His presence. Isaiah 59.2 says it very well. Isaiah 59.2, But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. Wow. I think we've forgotten those things. You know, also I want you to know that sin is repulsive because of what it did to Jesus. Today, people don't want to face the issue of sin. They refuse to call sin, sin. And then they want to wonder why God doesn't hear them anymore or why they can't feel His presence in their life anymore. Because sin separates us from God. But I want you to know tonight that there is an answer to that. There's an answer. If you long to conquer sin... In your life, there's an answer. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So you might ask, well, why would this cause anxiety in the Son of God? He was spotless. He didn't have any sin. I'll tell you why. Because He was about to become sin for us. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Paul says this, God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. When Jesus looked in the cup and he saw all that sin, this might have caused anxiety 
as he looked in the cup. But I want you to know, there was more. It wasn't all he seen. I believe the next thing he came face to face with, he was confronted with, was suffering. He looked beyond the sin and he saw suffering. And I want you to know that I don't think Jesus was surprised at all by the suffering. You see, he knew what was about to happen to him. The hour had come. But I believe that he also saw all the suffering of all humanity. All the bad things that ever happened or ever will happen. He saw that. How many of you have ever been asked the question, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? You ever been asked that question? Yes. Especially when you're witnessing to somebody, right? That's one of the first things they like to throw at you. Well, I've learned over the years to uh, kind of turn that back around. And I ask this question. You see, the question is really not about why does God allow all the suffering? The question should be, what has God done about all the suffering? And the answer is, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe it in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus knew all the way from the foundations of the earth that he would suffer and die. He knew he was going to face, up, face some trumped up charges in a mock trial. He knew that. He knew he was going to be mocked. He knew that he was going to be spit on. He knew that he was going to be slapped and beaten. He knew that his flesh was going to be torn to an unrecognizable state. This is what he saw when he looked in the cup. But there was more. There was more. You see, Jesus looked beyond the sin, he looked beyond the suffering. And he saw sacrifice. He recognized his role as a sacrifice. How many of you saw the movie The Passion of the Christ? I see just about every hand up. I believe they did a pretty good job of portraying what Jesus went through for us. I don't know if you know this or not, but the Romans had the cruelest, the cruelest ways of execution. It wasn't a pretty sight. We all saw as Jesus was whipped with that cat and nine tails and how it ripped his flesh. It wasn't a pretty sight. It was pretty bloody. He saw himself as that sacrifice for us. Have you ever heard of the Day of Atonement in the Older Testament? The Day of Atonement is where they would bring the lambs in as a sacrifice for their sins. It was the only way they could be cleansed. 
Don't you know that wasn't a pretty sight? As they brought those nice little white lambs into a, the altar, and here's this precious little lamb doesn't have a clue about what's about to happen. But then it's too late. They cut those heads off, and blood went everywhere on the altar. You know, I think in American churches today, we've forgotten that our altar, the altars in the Old Testament, it was a place where something died. Too many of our churches today turned our altars into something else. The latest, bless me club. Come down to the altar. Name it and claim it. Blab it and grab it. Go on your way. It's yours. That's not what the altar is about. The altar is a place where something died. You know, I understand when I first came to the altar and surrendered my life to Christ, I was to lay my life down and pick his life up. I was to die to myself and pick up his cross. That's what the altar is for. As bloody and gory as that movie was, of what our Lord and Savior went through. Jesus saw all that. He saw all that in the cup. He knew that he would be the final, once and for all sacrifice. And it was necessary because his blood, his blood was the only blood that could satisfy the demands of a righteous God for our sin. His blood. Just one thing that bothers me, though. It seems like our churches don't look upon the sacrifice with a high regard anymore. It doesn't seem like they do that. I often wonder, I don't know if you think these things like I do, but I often wonder, how long can Father God endure watching His church neglect His sacrifice? How much longer will we put up with our self-centered, humanistic, materialistic gospel? How long? When you drain all of the blood out of the gospel, you have no gospel. Maybe that's what the Apostle Paul was writing to the Galatians about. You've turned to another gospel. If you don't have the blood, you don't have the gospel. The late David Wilkerson said this. David Wilkerson said, The one thing God will never endure is the casting aside of the preaching of the cross. He will not endure it. We have to preach the cross. We've gotten away from that, I think. But wait, there was more. There was more in the cup. I think Jesus looked beyond the sin. He looked beyond the suffering he looked beyond the sacrifice and he came to separation. Separation. Maybe that's what led him back to the garden those three times to pray. And maybe that was the one thing that caused him to sweat as if it were drops of blood. Something that he had never experienced before. Never. Separation. He'd never experienced that. Matthew 27, 46. 
Hallelujah. Happy Tuesday. I might just have to read it off the board. Jesus was hanging at the cross, hanging on the cross at this point. And he said this, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time ever, from the beginning of the world, through all of creation, through all the time up until this point, Jesus had never known separation from his Father. He'd never known that. He never experienced that. But now the penalty of sin was bore upon his body. And the Father laid the sin of the world upon his only Son. I'm sure when the Father looked down from eternity, when he looked down from heaven and he saw his son hanging on the cross and what they'd done to him, I believe he had to turn his back for a moment. He couldn't stand to bear what they did to his son. And all the angels, they only knew Jesus in his glory. They had to see him like this, hanging like a shredded piece of meat on a cruel tree. And I'm sure they had to turn their back for just a moment. They couldn't bear to look at him. What about the Holy Spirit? He had been with Jesus. I believe at this point, they had to turn and look away. And Jesus felt that. He felt that. He felt the separation. And that's what caused him to cry out. It was tough. It was hard. You know, I've heard, I've heard it say that it was my sin and your sin that put Jesus on the cross. I've heard that before. Some say that it was Rome or it was the religious folks of the day. But listen, friends, there's only one clear doctrine when it comes to that. God put His Son on the cross. That's the only clear way to look at it. He was put there by the Father. You see, it has always been God's plan from the foundation of the world to offer Jesus His Son on that cross. It's always been His plan. It was the Father's will. How do I know that? Isaiah 53.10 says it. Isaiah 53.10 Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. It was God's will from the beginning of time. Matter of fact, if you think about it, 
This was God's plan of salvation all along. He had to get Jesus, his son, in the beginning and tell him this plan because Jesus knew this from beforehand. The Bible says that he was the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. So he knew it. And yes, Jesus died on that cross. He died for my sin. He died for your sin. And for the sin of the world. He died. That's what Jesus saw in that cup. And you may wonder, if Jesus really saw all that, He really saw all that, why did He go through with it? He prayed three times that He, that he wouldn't. The cup was full of bitterness. But Jesus had a choice. Why? Why do it? He prayed three times. He didn't want to do it. Just like a lot of things that we don't want to do, we don't want to do it. We want to find a way out. I believe he did it because there was one more thing that he saw in that cup. Jesus looked beyond the sin. He looked beyond the suffering. He looked beyond the sacrifice. And he looked beyond even the separation from his father. And in the bottom of the cup was the bottom line. The one thing that turned the bitter cup into sweetness. Salvation. Salvation. He was and is our only hope. He's the only hope. Pastor Eric said it best a few weeks ago. I heard him say this. Hope and change doesn't belong to our politicians. They should not be allowed to say those words because the church of the living God, we are the only ones that know about real hope and real change. And it comes through Jesus. It doesn't come through no politician. We have to remember and never forget that it was Jesus' greatest desire his greatest desire was to do the Father's will in His timing. That's why He prayed the same thing three times. You see, I know that you all understand that Jesus loves us very much. I know, we get that. And that is why He looked beyond the cup. And he got up after he was praying and he dusted himself off and he went back to the disciples. They were weary from praying. And when he got through with all of that, he went down the Via Della Rosa, the way of suffering. All that we might be saved. You know, I think a, a good message that we should always have on our hearts. John said it best in his gospel. Y'all remember when John the Baptist was baptizing people on the Jordan? He was baptizing people in the Jordan, and he looked up and he saw Jesus walking by, and he said, Behold the Lamb. 
that taketh away the sins of the world. I like that song Brother Charlie sang to us at the men's advance. Jesus is the answer for the world today. We need to behold the Lamb. We need to hold Him in high regard. We need to hold up the sacrifice that He made for us. We need, we need to never be ashamed of talking about the blood. Let me just give you one more scripture. And then I'll give it back to Pastor Matt. Hebrews chapter 12. How many of you are glad that Jesus went to the cross? I know I'm glad. It changed my life when I accepted that. And when I plugged my life into what He'd done on the cross. I can tell you today that I'm a changed man. And I'm grateful. And I want to just be about beholding the Lamb. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 through 4. Let's finish with this. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. Listen to this. Who for the joy, he counted it all joy. That's, that's amazing. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He scorned its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Wow. You know, I can't imagine how hard it must have been when, when Jesus looked at all the sin of the world when he looked in that cup. I have a hard time dealing with my own sin. Could you imagine trying to deal with the sin of the entire world? It's a pretty, pretty high task. And he counted it joy. And he endured the cross for you and I. Amen? Word, guys. Leave it on. Hallelujah. I just want to say thank you, brother. Thank you for feeding my soul. Amen. It really did. Uh, what immediately comes to mind are, are several scriptures, but the one that stands out the most was the last one that you shared. Hmm. Uh, that point in worship where I felt the tide really turn, I couldn't get out of my mind that phrase, fix your eyes That's it. on Jesus. That's it. Because he is the answer. Yep, That's a is. good word. We need that tonight. He is the answer. How many times do we just want a 20% of what that cup has to offer? Just the salvation. But it's mixed. We can't run from it. Nope. Jesus' disciples even asked him. 
or his, actually their moms did, or his mom did. Okay, my son sit on your right and your left. So you don't know what you asked for. You can't drink from the same cup that I'll drink from. But later on, when they were being persecuted, they were rejoicing because they had been found worthy to suffer for his name. Come on, saints. We're going to live a life worthy of the calling that we receive. That means we're going to drink that whole cup. The whole cup. If we're going to follow Jesus, we got to begin to do what he did. Yeah. And that's face the sins of the world, take up suffering, sacrifice, and so we can bring salvation to the world. Amen.